one good news for us. It sounds like uh, we've figured out the whole sound system situation, so there's not any reverb or loud echoing this morning. So hopefully that'll make me easier to listen to at least. We're turning back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 together. And as we turn there, we turn to a topic that seemed to be very important to the Thessalonians because in just two very short letters that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he spent a significant portion of each of his letters addressing this specific topic. It was so central to the message of the gospel that when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, this is what he had to say about this specific issue. For in this hope, we were saved. And I'm speaking, of course, of the hope of the resurrection. Apparently, so much discussion was happening about the day of resurrection in the church that in the days of the Thessalonians, false teachers were making a living off of this topic. Whole letters and books were being spread with lies about the resurrection and circulated in the church. In Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, he writes, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. He has to warn them of fake letters that may even make their way, whole books of fake books of the Bible that might come in and start teaching false teachings about the resurrection. And while there is certainly a lot of false things that are being circulated even today about what is popularly called the end times, I don't think that our greatest danger today is in believing false things about the resurrection. Tell me whether this is true for you. The greatest danger in my heart is in forgetting that there is a resurrection to come altogether. The great danger is not in me believing false things about the day of resurrection. It's just me forgetting that there's even a day of resurrection that's coming. Days, weeks, months can go by in our lives without so much as one thought about the fact that Jesus is coming back. When was the last time that I went to bed expecting not to be woken by my alarm clock, but by the trumpet call of God? When was the last time I made a life decision and the determining factor in which way I chose to go was the firm belief that my body one day is going to come out of the grave? If you're like me this morning, I need to rediscover the hope of the resurrection. In this hope we are saved, Paul says. 
modern-day teaching on the return of Jesus can make it seem like such a complex topic, but this morning we're going to read and we're going to see how simple Paul lays out what's lying before us at the finish of the Christian race. He's graciously simple in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Why don't we stand together as we do receive the word of God, beginning in verse 13. Paul writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. You may be seated. Sadly, today is not really any different from the day that Paul wrote this letter in that there are still false teachings circulating among the people of God that are proclaimed by false teachers or even false heretical groups. And I think one thing that we need to address before we even dive into today's sermon is a, a question that arises from verse 13. Let me read it to you again. But we do not want you to be un uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. What does Paul mean by that phrase, those who are asleep? And he uses it again in verse 14, and then he uses it again in verse 15. But then in verse 16, he characterizes that same group of people, and he uses these words. He says, and the dead in Christ. So when he's talking about those who are asleep, he's talking about those dead Christians, believers who have been put into the grave. The question is, why would Paul describe dead Christians as being asleep? Jehovah's Witnesses, who by the way are not Christians, are people trapped in a false, heretical, cultic structure and need Jesus. Okay, They would say, read this passage, and say, see, this is teaching the doctrine of soul sleep. Okay, Maybe this is not something that you've heard of before, but maybe it's something you've thought of. What, what, what do you do whenever you're in the grave? And Jehovah's Witnesses, and they aren't shy about this, you can go to jw.org and it's right there for you. They believe that a dead soul is in a state of inactivity, and thus the scriptures often metaphorically refer to the dead as sleeping. Seventh-day Adventists also hold to this same idea of soul sleep. Again, I'm going to quote from their denominational website. This isn't something they keep hidden. Uh, At death, all consciousness ends. 
The dead person does not know anything and does not do anything. So the question this morning is, is this what Paul means when he says those who are asleep? That when we die, our soul goes into some kind of unconscious state until the return of Jesus Christ. I see you guys all wagging your heads. The answer is no. This is not what Paul is teaching. And I could point you to dozens of verses, but I'm just going to give you a few here that make it very plain that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you can write these references down if you want. Chances are you probably already know these verses by heart. We read one of these we encountered in our series in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Philippians 1, 21 through 23. Paul writes, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Why? My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul's great confidence is when he departs this body, when his body is laid in the ground, he's not going into the ground with his body. He's going to be with the Lord. We just heard from this pulpit Luke 23, 42 through 43, the promise that Jesus made to the thief who was dying next to him on the cross. He pleaded with Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. From the lips of our Savior, it can't be more clear. The moment you die as a believer, he says, you're with me. And then let me read to you the picture that John witnesses before the throne of Jesus in Revelation 6. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw... This is Revelation 6, 9 and 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You get the picture? The souls of those who were slain. There they are, gathered around the, the throne of the Lamb, crying out, how long, O Lord? All right? So the Bible makes it clear that soul sleep is a false teaching. When we die, brothers and sisters, yes, our bodies go into the ground, but our souls go to be with the Lord. So why, then, does Paul refer to dead Christians as those who are asleep? Well, Because death is as impermanent to us as sleep is. If we have a resurrection hope, death is not permanent. There's no hope for a dead person to come out of bed. For a sleeping person, all you need is an alarm clock. A dead person is never going to rise from a bed. A sleeping person only needs to be roused. And that's the point that Paul is making. Death is only temporary. It's just restful slumber for our weary bodies that one day they will be risen anew in Jesus Christ. For all those who have heard these words and believed them, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet 
he shall live. For Paul, to call death sleep is like yanking the veins out of a snake. Uh, the fangs out of a snake. It's a taunt. It's saying to death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? You have no power over me anymore. The stone has been rolled away. Yes, I'll go into the grave, but there is nothing to keep me there. Which brings us to our first point this morning. Paul encourages us, number one, believe that Jesus died and rose again. All of this resurrection hope hinges on whether we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Listen again to how Paul puts it in verse 14. For since... Now he's assuming that he's, since he's writing to Christians, he's assuming this is true. Really that word is if. But he's so certain, our, our translators translate it as since. But now if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So this hope that he wants us to have in the resurrection and that one day we're going to be raised out of the grave, it is balancing, it is teetering precariously on this faith. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again. Think about this for a moment. I want you to picture someone that you dearly love. And I want you to imagine someday, a day, hopefully way in the future, you're standing over that person's grave. And you're watching as their body's being lowered into the ground. Do you really want to believe that that's it? That this physical universe is it. That people are born, live, die, and are extinguished forever. If that is what you believe, on that day when that beloved person passes away and is put into the ground, you will know what it means and feels like to weep as one without hope. I don't understand how someone can bear to live in a world that they believe there is no God. How can you even venture out your front door in the morning knowing that one bad car wreck can wipe you out of existence forever? One fatal disease, you're one fatal disease away from being completely deleted from all the pages of history. How can you go on existing knowing that the clock is marching day after day and there's nothing that you can stop it, marching you toward total annihilation? Is that the kind of world that you want to live in? I can't think of anything more fearful to a non-believer than the grave. To conceive of a universe where you no longer exist. Death is the end. Death is termination, destruction, total annihilation of your personhood. If Jesus did not, did not die, if Jesus is not raised, then on the day that you die, people can mourn and cry and wail over your grave, but nothing you're not even there to hear their cries and nothing will bring you back out. 
In fact, there is no you anymore. You no longer exist. This is the materialistic, physical universe that our culture wants us to believe that we live in. But not to worry. The world has figured out a way for us not to weep as those without hope. We just basically deny the logical conclusion of a physical universe. And here's what we do. Don't think about that. Here's the remedy. You exist now. We can fix this problem. Don't worry about where you will be, whether you will exist or not 50 years from now. You get to define your universe. Why don't you pull a thin veneer of meaning over this meaningless existence and pretend that you will not be annihilated at the end? Doesn't that make it better? Pour your passion and your energy into whatever created meaning you want to pour it into. Find that meaning in sexual expression or in your career or in the pursuit of pleasure or wealth or even in doing good deeds. Create meaning and don't think about the fact that in a few short years you will no longer exist. And this, friends, is what the world tells you will help you not spend your nights in fearful expectation of a grave that has swallowed every human being since the dawn of creation. Well, what is the remedy? Believe. Believe that Jesus entered into that grave and he came back out. Believe that Jesus died and rose again. Well, I can't confirm that Jesus died. I've never seen him. How am I supposed to believe that? Well, here's the thing. The Bible is filled with all kinds of people who actually could confirm that Jesus did die and that he did rise again. And you know what? It didn't matter. People who watched him die, who were there, who mocked him, who saw him breathe his last breath, who put him in the grave, who sealed the stone. And then when eyewitness testimony came back to them saying, we saw this Jesus come out of the grave. He's alive. Do you know what they did? They paid those men to lie about it. Seeing, not seeing Jesus, that's not the problem. The problem is, will you believe? Have you been driven to such a sense of hopelessness that a world where Jesus is not raised means that you will die and be extinguished. Have you realized the hopelessness of that? And you're not willing to live in that kind of a universe and you have to cling to Jesus with everything that you are. Have you reached that place yet? Believe that Jesus died and rose again. Secondly, this morning, Paul encourages us to trust his word. What Paul is sharing with us this morning is not the fanciful imaginations of some religious hack. He makes it really clear. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Now, we believe that every word in Paul's letter is a word from the Lord. But here, he makes it abundantly plain. Now listen, I'm not sharing my opinions. I've got some thoughts about this. This is the word, the promise from the Lord himself. 
Has the Lord ever promised something was going to happen and it didn't happen? We stand in a pretty privileged spot in salvation history, 2,000 years after the coming of Jesus. And I really can't think of a single promise in the Bible that has yet to come to pass except for one. Jesus hasn't come back yet. So are we willing to say, you know what, Jesus? You've kept 10,000 promises. I think I'm going to trust your word on the last one. You've proven yourself to be faithful over and over and over again. And this one promise that you have yet to keep, I'm going to trust that you're going to keep your word. Trust his word. And then Paul lays out exactly in very certain terms, plain and simple, verse 15, what is it that the Lord has said by his word? What is he promising? That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Two things strike me about this word. Number one, how simple it is. Paul's not up there, you know, with this complicated chart, you know, end times timeline or anything where he's creating these crazy diagrams and, and webs of connections. It's simple. On the day Jesus comes, he's going to come down from heaven. The dead are going to go up first. We're going to go second. We're going to be with Jesus forever. The end. That's what he says. It's not complicated. There are certain things that we can be utterly certain about, and the day of resurrection is one of those things, brothers and sisters. We should have no equivocation or question or doubt in our mind what is going to happen to us when Jesus comes back. We are all going to be raised, changed, made new. We're going to be with Jesus forever. The Jesus who died and was raised is the same Jesus who will come down from heaven. The dead will come out of their graves. We will be changed. We're still alive. We'll be with him forever. May we trust this simple word. The second thing that strikes me about this word is how loud it is. God must know that I'm a heavy sleeper. I usually, like this morning, I think I had like five alarms set. Because I'm always afraid I'm going to sleep through the first four. Um, God knows that I'm a heavy sleeper, though, because he's, he's got three alarms set here that are going to go off, right? Uh, it says, For the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Nobody is going to sleep through that. <laughs> Maybe you've read a little too much uh, end times fiction or whatever, and you're afraid that somehow you're going to miss the coming of Jesus. Paul's pretty plain. It's going to be loud. Even dead people in their graves are going to wake up when Jesus comes back. Don't have any worry in your mind that you will miss the coming of Jesus. Don't be afraid that you're going to be left behind. More on that when we get to 2 Thessalonians, when we get back from vacation. Paul spends an entire chapter debunking 
the idea that we could miss the coming of Jesus Christ. That'll be in 2 Thessalonians, so come back in August. We'll be talking about that. Paul spends a whole chapter dismantling this idea that anyone could miss the coming of Jesus. But the point is this. When the Lord keeps his promise, he's going to come down from heaven and everyone is going to see it and is going to know it and we will all witness it. But you know what? It hasn't happened yet. I was thinking about this this weekend. We want our children to be saved. We have these people that we're sharing the gospel with. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet, but it could happen tomorrow. It could happen next week. It could happen very soon. And you know what? When Jesus comes back, it will be too late. It will be too late. When he comes back, will you receive him with joy or with fearful expectation of judgment? Will your heart rejoice because God has kept his last and greatest promise to us? Or will you realize you waited and it is too late? Friend, I pray that you would not put off this decision for another day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent and believe and trust in Jesus so that when he comes back, you will be excited and rejoice to see him face to face. Trust his word. But Paul's final words on this matter remind us of the whole point of why he's sharing with us these words in the first place. Verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The resurrection is supposed to be good news. I've seen so many Christians who are afraid of the end times, afraid of the return of Jesus. This is something Paul says should encourage our hearts when things get hard. This is the, the word that Paul uses of why he's telling the Thessalonians all about all of these things. He says, I want you to hope in this resurrection. That's our third and final point. Number one, believe that Jesus died and rose again. Trust his word, but this is the whole point of this whole matter, is for you to hope in the resurrection. This same finish line is waiting for all believers. Our race ends in a face-to-face -face meeting in the clouds with the glorious, returning, risen Savior and King Jesus. If Jesus has died and was raised, we believe, so shall our bodies be. We trust that God is going to keep his promise to us through Jesus Christ. And so we live as people who have resurrection hope. And I think that knowing the finish line is meant to shape how we run the race. We're not without hope, which is why we don't try to escape this world through drunkenness or through wasting our days away getting high, or even spending our evenings engaging in online pornography, or wasting our days away binge-watching Netflix. Because we have a hope. This is not a hopeless existence. This is why we don't waste our days pursuing the passions and pleasures of this world but instead labor for what is imperishable and are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because we have this resurrection hope. 
This is why we're not afraid in the face of shifting political powers and laws and authorities. This is why we don't feel the need to pander to social pressures. Why? Because we have a resurrection hope that when Jesus comes back, he's going to set all of these things to right. Friend, if you believe that Jesus died and was raised, if you trust his word, if you hope in the resurrection, I can give you one very practical step that you can take this morning. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. If you believe that Jesus died and was raised, if you trust his promise, if you are living in a resurrection hope, you need to repent and be baptized because baptism is a proclamation of all three of these things. Baptism is the God-ordained proclamation that I believe Jesus died and was raised. I trust his promise and his word. I hope in the resurrection. Baptism is identifying with Jesus. It's a testimony to what Paul says in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. I believe that whatever happened to Jesus is going to happen to me. That's what we're saying from the baptistry. When you get baptized, you're proclaiming, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Surely not in my power, but Jesus is going to give me the ability to walk in trusting God's promise. And I believe that as sure as I have come up out of these waters, one day my body is going to come out of that grave to be with Jesus forever. This is what we're proclaiming in baptism. And if this is what you believe and trust and hope, you need to repent and be baptized. So we've got kids this morning. I know that we have many children here who have been thinking and exploring and wondering, when? When should I be baptized? When should I make that choice? If you understand what I have shared with you this morning, don't wait another day. Talk to your mom. Talk to your dad. Talk to me. Say, Mom, Dad, I'm ready. I believe. I trust. I hope. And I'll proclaim that before God to this whole world. May we all believe that Jesus died and was raised again. May we trust in his word. May we hope in the resurrection. Therefore, Paul says, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our brother Paul, who so succinctly and plainly and encouragingly has recorded our hope in this letter. Lord Jesus, I pray that your return would change the way that we live and we run this race. Lord Jesus, I pray that every person that's here this morning would know the hope that you are standing at the finish line, that we will one day be with you and see you face to face. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come quickly. It's in your name we trust and pray. Amen.